0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito
1: This is the Black and Gold Banneret.
2: Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. All right, welcome in, Jeff, Eric, and Brian, with you here as it is football week at long last, ladies and gentlemen. We are here, it's mid September, and UCF is going to play their first football game. It's our first football game preview show here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast of 2020. It's going to be weird, it's mid September already. But I think we're ready to go, boys. What's going on?
3: Nothing much, Jeffrey. I uh, was in downtown Orlando today, walking around, and you know I have headphones in when I walk around, and I could sense that there was a car, sort of like, just sort of uh, rolling right beside me, and I sort of looked up, and there was this woman in the driver's seat sticking her head out the window, and trying to get my attention. And I have my headphones in, so I took them out. And I'm, and she goes, "Are you hungry?" And I said, "No, no, I'm not." And She goes, "Are you sure?" I said, "No, I'm fine, thanks." Uh, I don't know what she thought. However, I think it's related to the fact that I haven't had a haircut in 13 months, and I think tomorrow, I think, I think, tomorrow, I think tomorrow that's going to end.
0: For the record, Murph is speaking about his walking on Wednesday and he's thinking about the haircut on Thursday, although that could be any day in downtown Orlando. So, you know, uh, you know, know, that's pretty wild. Well, you you shaved the beard, though, Murph. What was she offering? That's my question. I don't know what kind
2: of food. I don't know. (laughs) I I I mean, if it was like a half-eaten Big Mac, I would be like, lady, you know.
3: I had just come back from eating at 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 a restaurant. So like it wasn't even like that one, was fine. Too, one of the really
2: but, nice ones over by where you live too, right? I'm sure.
4: <laughs>
3: yeah, I'm, I'm downtown. So, you know, it's it's not cheap. But it's, so apparently like it's that. I, I I certainly didn't dress up to go out. I think I was wearing like T-shirt and gym shorts. That might have been a thing too. But I, I think it's time that I
2: really do need to
3: cut oh, this it-
0: in your defense, you're saving your good clothing for your trip to Atlanta to cover football. We're yeah. football.
2: Finally, at long last, Murph is going to be up there. It's UCF against Georgia Tech on Saturday, 3.30 p.m. ABC, Bobby Dodd Stadium. Huge stage for the Knights to open up their season against an ACC opponent. Of course, Georgia Tech defeated Florida State uh, last week in what was a real slugfest in Tallahassee, a game that I'm sure you really enjoyed, Eric Lopez, quite a bit, but... Um, hey, former UCF coaches, Jeff Collins, getting that win up in Tallahassee to start the conference season for, uh, for Georgia Tech. Of course, we're going to talk about that and more, but, uh, first we wanted to bring in our guest, uh, for today, of course, here at SB Nation, we are lucky to have sites for basically every team in, uh, in FBS and then some, but, um, we wanted to reach out to, uh, the folks at fromtherumbleseat.com, which is Georgia Tech's Team site uh, uh, on the, the uh, on the SB Nation network, and we are joined by Robert Binion. He is the football staff writer at From the Rumble Seat, also specializes in uh, advanced metrics, and uh, he joined us to preview the game uh, with and preview the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Or want to know, of course, coming into the season, and here is our discussion. With
4: Robert Binion.
2: All right. Welcome aboard, Robert Binion from the Rumble seat. What's going on, man? How are you? Thanks for spending time with us.
4: Yeah, excited. Excited about the game Saturday and glad to talk about it.
2: I know. Well, you guys should be excited after uh, after that opening win uh, in Tallahassee and uh, uh, a game where you guys came from behind. Um I guess let's start at the top with uh, with a guy who we're all familiar with down here at UCF, Jeff Collins, who's your head coach now. Of course, we're not only familiar with him from his time as head coach at Temple, but also he was a linebacker coach and recruiting coordinator here from 08 to 09, recruited, I think, something around seven guys on the defense who eventually played in the NFL. He's brought a, a little bit of the band back together at Tech with Brent Key on the offensive side, who was almost the head coach here at one point. And uh, and Andrew Thacker, who is a graduate assistant, who's now your defensive coordinator, this is year two of the Jeff Collins rebuild. And just describe for us, like the 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 degree of the teardown and rebuild that Collins has had to do, coming from the Paul Johnson triple option days.
4: Absolutely, I would say if we're talking about the teardown, the primary places that you're going to look there at the quarterback and offensive line positions, there's just really not a lot of overlap between what you're asking those guys to do in the spread option that we ran with Johnson versus, uh, you know, a more shotgun uh, spread zone based approach like we're running now. And so you saw at those positions, uh, a lot of attrition, a lot of uh, immediate tear down some of the other positions. I would characterize it more as, as rebuilding in terms of uh, the defensive line and the linebacking core where, Obviously, we're not asking those guys to do anything different now than we were, but we were really just not recruiting very well at those positions the last couple of years. And so what you saw last year was uh, an offensive line and a quarterback who really just struggled from start to finish. Uh, It took us four or five games to settle on a starter last year in James Graham. The offensive line was constantly shuffling guys in and out. We had quite a few season-ending injuries in addition to the – Uh, overall scheme change. And so what you saw this year was that uh, Collins and Brent Key signed six offensive linemen in the recruiting class this year. Uh, One of those guys is starting for us at right tackle as a true freshman, Jordan Williams. He's a a monster, 6'6", 330. Uh, Obviously still learning and still growing into his body in some ways, but uh, you're seeing a lot of, of young guys play in some of those spots. Uh, And then the quarterback position, of course, uh, the guy who started fourth last year is now fourth on the depth chart, which is the kind of thing that happens when you're moving from, you know, an option offense to something that's uh, more traditionally uh, passing oriented. And so last week we started a true freshman named Jeff Sims, a guy who'd been a commitment to Florida State. And so we all enjoyed the irony of him uh, leading us to a win down in Tallahassee uh, after Mike Norvell had not uh, wanted to stick with him after he took the job. And so uh, Sims completed more passes had a higher completion percentage through for more yards than any game we had last year uh, in its first start as a true freshman on the road. And so uh, honestly, that performance completely recalibrated uh, our expectations for what this season could be. And even really for what the next couple of seasons could be, because if you're going to try to run this kind of offense, uh, it starts with the quarterback and, we weren't sure if, we're, if we had one, and now we're pretty sure that we do.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, to what extent do do the expectations change? Because I mean, let's face it, Georgia Tech was picked to finish last in the ACC this year because of, you know, the because of all the turnover that they had. But but it, I, I thought that Georgia Tech was the clearly the better coach team on Saturday. Um, the defense I thought was really impressive. And say what you want about you know James Blackman, but. Um, You know, Blackman's been there for a while, and he was utterly confused by what Andrew Thacker was throwing at him. So, to what extent do those expectations now get recalibrated based on that win in Tallahassee?
4: I think, from our vantage point, you know, Florida State's probably a little bit worse than they uh, were thought to be going in. But I think you also have to uh, consider that that Tech is a little bit better than what most folks thought Uh, if, if you look at uh, Bill Connelly's SP Plus number, something that we're, we're fond of. Uh, we, we moved way up after the performance this week, all the way up to 26th to in the country. Uh, of course, out of the 76 teams that are actually playing and our, our defense, which was you know in the 70s last year, is, is 13th. Uh, and our offense, which was in the 100s last year, is uh, in the mid-30s. And so obviously those numbers use a bunch of priors from last year. They use uh, the percentage of Uh, returning experience that you have and then they're you know beginning to use this week one but I think what you see is that uh, from the get-go tech seems to be out in front of where they were thought to be and uh, you mentioned the defense I think last year you know Thacker was putting things in from from his perspective and had some brilliant games and we had some really rough games where we got no pressure and where you know ended up getting deep a lot Uh, towards the end of the season we couldn't in the run at all. Um, I think we had four defensive linemen have season-ending injuries, but according to Bill Connolly's numbers, we had the highest percentage of returning production in the country, and I think you saw that on display last week, where we actually had three starters miss the FSU game just on defense, and, and still were able to hold them under four yards of play, held Blackman to about four and a half yards per attempt, and uh, had three sacks, which for us is uh, phenomenal over the last few years, and so uh, I think the defense is, is legitimately uh, going to be a problem for people this year. Yeah, Let me Robert.
0: Go
3: ahead, well, Murph. Well, all right, thanks. Uh, and also, I should point out, too, that Jeff Sims was a guy that UCF recruited, and they really wanted him here as well. So they're familiar with, with Jeff and his, and his skill sets. But one thing that stood out to me while watching the game was really how well he was protected. And even, okay, so even in times where he wasn't, he, he did have lots of poise, but he had lots of clean pockets. And I think that's going to be a huge key to this game because UCF's going to roll about nine, eight to nine defensive linemen uh, and, and try to rush four, maybe rush five. But what can you say about the offensive line, what you saw on Saturday, and, and really, what do they bring?
4: So, if you noticed, uh, we did not substitute a single time on the offensive line the entire game. Uh, the wow. same five guys played all 69 snaps, which is pretty unbelievable. And so, I think what, what you've got is uh, a situation where the starting five is pretty good. Uh, the right tackle is a true freshman that I mentioned. The right guard is a kid named Ryan Johnson that transferred as a grad transfer from Tennessee. Uh, and then the center left guard and left tackle all have significant numbers of, of starts. And so you've got a, a starting group that has, has gotten some stability. They've got some cohesion with each other. And like you said, we saw a lot of clean pockets last week, uh, only one sack from my count and, uh, when Sims was pressured. Unlike the past few years, he was actually able to step up and either uh, find somebody in, in the intermediate area or take off with his legs, and uh, we were so impressed with his poise. I think what you're going to find is if for any reason we, we go down a starter on the offensive line that things could really deteriorate quickly, and so uh, that'll really be something to watch for during the game is if any offensive linemen have to go out for any period of time at all, it, it's, it's really going to be a challenge, and, and you'll probably see us go to some quicker uh, developing plays if, if that kind of thing
0: happens. Eric, go ahead. Yeah, at, talk about the running game, because i got to believe Georgia Tech, obviously, with yeah, the two backs, you're going to want to run the football, maybe keep the ball away from UCF offensive. You mentioned the offensive line. Brent Key is the offensive line coach and the running games coach. That's what his title is. Just tell us a little bit about that balance there with the running game for Georgia Tech to help Sims out. And Sims, obviously, will be a part of that running game, with his, uh, with, as he showed against Florida State. Absolutely. Last year, we
4: were a team that uh, ran the ball about 60% of the time uh, because that was definitely the strength of the offense. Uh, this past week in Tallahassee, I think we threw uh, we at about 55% and ran at about 45%. I think what you saw there was a lot more confidence in the quarterback than they had last year. Uh, but from the running game side, there's a little bit of mystery right now. Um, Jordan Mason has been our starter for the last year and a half. Power back, breaks tackles. Uh, was second in the conference behind Travis Etienne in yards after uh, contact last year, but uh, the word on the street is that he suffered a broken foot right at the end of the game in Tallahassee and is uh, un- most likely out for you know a significant period of time here. Uh, that that probably won't be confirmed until kickoff because the way the coaching staff handles injuries, but that's uh, that's what we're hearing from some of the contacts that we have, which uh, is 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 not good. But we also have. Uh, a stable of backs where that 's probably the position where they were most able to absorb an injury, and so the other guys you 're likely to see uh, the, the second back is a kid named Jamiaias Griffin. He was a, a late addition to the two thousand and nineteen recruiting class after Collins got hired was a, a four star kid from up in North Georgia who had been committed to NC state and then uh, had a preexisting relationship with Collins and ended up flipping he looked really good uh, in his carries and a few catches out of the backfield against Florida State. Uh, the third back that we saw a little bit is a guy named Dante Smith. He's the the, the thinnest of the backs, but can really fly, and they'll probably try to get him uh, in space on the edge, throw some screens, that kind of thing. And then the fourth back who missed the game this past weekend, but from what we're hearing is planning to play this week, is uh, the true freshman, Jameer Gibbs. And so he was – Uh, the best recruit that we've signed since 2007, a really high four-star kid at Florida and LSU where the other uh, school's in in his final three. And the word out of camp is that he's just an athlete like you wouldn't believe. And so we're uh, really hopeful that he's going to be able to get on the field this week. He's going to be at full strength. I think if he is, you're going to see a lot of uh, two-back sets with probably Griffin on one side and Gibbs on the other. I think you'll see... Both Gibbs and Smith getting split out into the slot uh, a fair amount, and and you'll really see those guys involved uh, a fair amount. And like you said, of course, Sims is going to be involved in the run game. He's going to have called draws. He's going to scramble on pass plays. He's going to run zone own read. uh, Rewatching some of the tapes this week, there were definitely some reads that he missed on some of those plays. So I think that's an area for growth, and that's also an area where uh, your defensive line could could definitely – make some hay if they're able to get in the backfield and confuse him. So I I don't think that's yet a strength, but some of the the called outside zone runs are where we really hurt Florida state. And we would expect to keep trying that stuff this week.
2: We're talking with Robert Binion from the SB nation, Georgia tech team site from the rumble seat. Robert, when you look at the, Challenge that UCF presents the Georgia Tech defense, and uh, again, Andrew Thacker, the defensive coordinator, familiar with UCF, and it was good to see the it was good to see the coaches. Uh, you know, they, they they having been at UCF, they understand that this is you know this is this is not some some team that they're going to just run over. But when we talk about the matchup with UCF's high octane offense. Against Georgia Tech's uh, defense, which, like we said, did a very good job against Florida State, but this is an entirely different ball game here. What's your biggest concern on the Tech side as far as how they match up with the Knights?
4: To me, it's got to be the explosive passing game. Uh, Demorian Terry got open deep a few times last week, and either you know Blackman overthrew him, or he dropped one that he really should have caught for probably about a sixty-five yard touchdown. Um, our, our secondary is really good, but they're also really aggressive. And I think that, you know, the deep ball off of play action or off of double moves, if, if Gabriel is able to hit a few of those, uh, you know, you could see UCF scoring a bunch of points really fast. Uh, we're, not, uh, we're not great at uh, defending power runs, but I also don't think that that's necessarily UCF's strongest suit. So I, I would think just given the aggressive nature in our defense and some of the weaknesses that were exposed last week, uh, the the down the field passing game has got to be the, the biggest level of concern for Thacker right now.
3: And uh, Robert, what about the kicking game? Because obviously there was two two kicks blocked. Uh, <laughs> so what has been said during the week about you know how do you fix that? Because obviously that's something you just can't have.
4: And you know, Coach Collins took that on himself. He said they've been limiting the number of uh, live reps that that they were giving the the kicking team for for COVID reasons which is well and good, but this has been a weakness for four years in a row now. And so uh, I don't envision it as something that's going to get fixed this week. Uh, You know, Harrison Butker was our kicker up through 2016, has been kicking for the Chiefs since then, is an all-pro type kicker. And our kicking game has gone in the complete opposite direction since he left. We've simply been unable to to find a replacement. And so, you know, you saw the the two blocked field goals, the blocked extra points. Uh, Jude Kelly was eventually able to make the 32-yarder the to go ahead at the end of the game, but kicking is not going to be a strength for this team. Uh, we, I believe we had one touchback out of the four kickoffs. The others were returned out past the 30. And I, I, what we're hoping for from a fan side, from, a, you know, from an analysis side, is that you see Collins really start to go for it more on fourth down because field goals are just not going to be a winning value play for this team this year. Um, we're terrified every time the kicker goes out there. Uh, you saw, uh, you know, a, a protection group that seemed to not even know what they were doing. The the left guard and the left tackle were were ducking at the snap. It looked like and just letting the you know the interior Florida State guys hop over them. I mean, it it honestly looked like a middle school team who didn't know how to kick a field goal. So I think we're thankful that that was the worst part of the the the, the game because it's you know the fewest snaps of, of any part of the game. But it, it wasn't good, and I don't expect it to all of a sudden be a strength. So I would look for more fourth down attempts. Uh, our our is really good. Uh, we hope we don't have to use him, of course, but that's a strength. Uh, but the, the, the field goals and the kickoffs are going to continue to be an adventure, I'm afraid. This is the
2: fourth ever meeting between these two schools. All four meetings will have taken place at Bobby Dodd Stadium. The last time was back in 2000. Two of them have been decided by one score, interestingly enough, and the, including the last one when uh, Georgia Tech was coached by one George O'Leary. Um, I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course, we uh, we are as familiar with George O'Leary as you are. But tell us about how George is viewed from Georgia Tech's perspective. We hear all the time, but, you know, his you know, obviously he did a lot of good things at UCF here. But his his tenure at UCF was also uh, also did have some controversies. Let's let's be real about it. Um, but uh, how uh, he will be at the game, um, and they'll be uh, they'll be honoring him, I believe, at halftime, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. Um, wh- how is George O'Leary viewed in Georgia Tech circles these days?
4: So I was born in 1987, and so O'Leary was hired when I was seven, uh, at the end of a year where we had gone one in ten. Uh, we we you know we shared the national title in 1990. Bobby Ross was the coach who built that. And then he left to go coach the San Diego Chargers after the 92 season. And we hired a guy who was supposed to be an up and comer named Bill Lewis. And he uh, managed to, to completely run the program into the ground in about two years and got fired halfway through the, the 94 season. Again, that team went one in 10, uh, you know, it, whatever the opposite of chemistry on the team is, is what that group had. And so a weary came in for, what was really a more difficult rebuilding project, even than what coach Collins faced uh, the level of attrition on the roster, the level of division, the lack of recruiting for a few years had just completely wagged things out. And, and so he started a slow build uh, 95. They didn't make a bowl, making slow progress uh, 96 still didn't make a bowl, but we started a freshman quarterback named Joe Hamilton that we all knew pretty quickly was going to be the guy, uh, which of course is, similar to what we're hoping for this year with Jeff Sims. And, and then by 97, they had made a bowl game, 98, won double-digit games, and uh, finally broke a, a seven-year losing streak against Georgia, which around here will uh, get you uh, a statue, will get you a, a lifetime contact, contract extension, whatever you want, if you can beat Georgia. And then he actually ended up beating Georgia three years in a row. And, and I think that's honestly what most fans are going to remember about his tenure, uh, that, that one, he did something that hadn't been done, I believe, since the 50s, uh, beating Georgia three times in a row, uh, as well as uh, sharing an ACC title with with Florida State one of those years, going to a couple of much more significant bowl games. And so uh, we were sad when he left for Notre Dame, not all that surprised, obviously more surprised to find out what came out next and then his whole rehabilitation tour. But, but honestly, he thought of very fondly. He brought the program from a dark place and took us to heights that that we hadn't seen uh, or weren't expecting to see for for quite a while
0: eric go ahead you don't have a statue of him do you i mean we we kind of <laughs> the, 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 there's a statue over here about him he did beat george in the liberty bowl here for ucf's first ever bowl <laughs> but do you guys you guys yeah. have any statues over there
4: we, we don't have a statue of okay. him no our, our statues are more reserved for the guys who coached in the, the first half of the 20th century we haven't
0: built any in a while all right very good probably should stay that way uh <laughs> but 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 you mentioned George. Obviously, Jeff Collins was uh, was on his staff here at UCF in 08 and 09. Brent Key was uh, on George O'Leary's staff for a long time, and they're trying to build Georgia Tech back to it was. I'm curious your thoughts because I really have enjoyed Jeff's personality. I've, uh, it, you know, he's on social media a lot. He's wearing the Roman Reigns shirt on when he's on <laughs> ACC Network in the morning talking about Roman Reigns, the Universal Champ. I gotta believe Jacket fans have gotta be excited. And believe in the Jeff Collins here, and, and nothing to take away from Paul Johnson. He did win ACC championships there, but uh, let's be honest, that offense was uh, Jeff. How would you uh, Jeff's favorite offense? Uh, how do you feel about that offense? Let her let, <laughs> let him know how you feel about that Georgia Tech offense uh, it's, that Paul Johnson ran.
2: It's a, it's a it's an incredible running game with a middle school passing game, a
0: pop water <laughs> passing God, game. God. That's um. So I'm just kind of curious what 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 do you think of that transition how fans sure. feel about it and with Paul Johnson who people like Jeff and you know let's be honest a lot of people the majority didn't like watching you guys play offense maybe some of you didn't either but it was somewhat successful yet confusing because you're in this great market in Georgia where it has so much talent and people kind of I felt was the, that system was holding you back, and now you got Jeff Collins recruiting that area among other places. Just tell me about that fear and how fans feel about it and Jeff Collins there two years in and obviously taking over for Paul Johnson.
4: Sure, uh, and I'm somebody who loves uh, Johnson's offense. I I really appreciated the intricacies of it, the adjustments he was able to make that, you know, we're nearly invisible in the middle of a game. And, of course, the the results that we had, I had a, you know, 2008, 2009, 2014 teams were, were really good. Uh, we had a couple of really good wins over excellent Georgia teams, won an AC Championship, won two to Orange Bowls. But what you started to see by, you know, the middle of the 2010s was, was the recruiting really started to tail off. And, uh, you know, you saw that at the offensive skill positions. You saw that uh, especially around the two lines of scrimmage and really got to a point where the – advantages that the offense could give you were, were being negated by the, the talent deficit. And so you bring in Collins, who, from day one, is, is going to focus on Atlanta, focus on the state of Georgia, focus on recruiting. Um, I mean, if Paul Johnson, you know, he was honest. He would tell you he didn't care much for recruiting. That was not his bread and butter. He wanted to scheme. Uh, he wanted to, to, to design things, uh, but he was not g- going to be – Uh, putting in the hours recruiting and Collins came in the exact opposite and of course that you know that fires us up Um, I don't uh, for for me you know the way that he's going to communicate the way he's going to talk about culture the way that he's going to you know present himself on media really what I care about is you know one does that get backed up with results and two does that resonate with 17 year old kids that we're trying to get to sign here and you know the the evidence from one season so far is that that is going to be the case Uh, we you know we signed the 27th ranked class in the country last year, which was our best class in, in about 14 years, uh, which is, you know, that's saying something to see that immediate improvement, even when people knew what kind of transition it was going to be. And uh, this year, so far, our class is in the, the mid-30s. we got a couple of higher tier guys that we're still in on, and we'll see how he finishes. But I think really uh, the way that, that his uh, creation of culture is going to be measured is, is one, does that recruiting continue, uh, you know, in a level that, ultimately even gets inside the top 20 because to compete where we are in the South, playing Clemson and Georgia every year, um, except for this year, hopefully, uh, you know we can't recruit at the levels that we were under Johnson where we were in the 40s and the 50s. It's got to be closer to that top 25, top 20 level. And so uh, basically everything Collins does from a media perspective seems to be geared at creating a sense of family on the team, which I think is great, and creating a sense of excitement with potential recruits. The issue is going to be, can we see enough improvement this year and next year to back up uh, the, the conversation? And I think that, you know, these 21 and 22 recruiting classes are going to go a long way in showing whether this is going to make it or not.
0: What is, uh, and my last question is Todd Stansberry, athletic director who also was here at UCF. I don't know. We got a lot of connections here. So, with the two schools, are just kind of fun. But what's been your thoughts on Todd Stansberry in the athletic department at Georgia Tech? How he's doing over there? I spoke recently. With Eileen uh, Morales, who's the Georgia Tech softball head coach, recently she's in this Hall of Fame class alongside George O'Leary and Morgan Burnett, who played a great career in the NFL. Just your overall, thought, overall thoughts on Todd Stansbury and the, and the direction of Georgia Tech athletics, which you know this used to be this was a, a program that went to the national championship in college basketball uh, over a decade ago, and obviously been a perennial power in baseball for many years with Nomar Garcia, parrin and among many talent. And of course, football you mentioned the national title in nineteen. 19- and competing for the ACC. And I always feel like the ACC is better when a Georgia Tech is competing for championships in all these sports. Just discuss Todd Stansberry and Georgia Tech athletics as a whole and how he's running things over there.
4: Yeah, well, we feel the same. We think the ACC is a lot better when we're competing. Uh, Stansberry's hire was something that I was really excited about. Uh, He's he's a Tech alum, and there is something unique about Tech and the way that academics and athletics interact in – even the percentage of the student body who cares about athletics is going to be smaller uh, than in a lot of you know big southern public schools, and, and so you've got to have somebody like Stansbury who understands the uniqueness of tech because that's going to have implications for how you fundraise, the percentage of alumni that you can expect to give back to the school. Uh, it's going to have implications for you know what size facilities you're going to be able to build, and I think Stansberry has really shown that he gets a lot of that. Uh, he came in a bit hamstrung on some of those fronts, particularly um, the, the previous AD had had given out a really bad contract uh, on the basketball side of things and had really dropped the ball on, on fundraising uh, in ways that would have benefited the, the football side of things. And so uh, Stan Berry's come in and been able to, to implement and uh, get a pretty significant capital campaign done even this year in the midst of COVID limitations. And so we'll have a new um, anchor building for, the athletic department that the shovel should go in the ground for in the next couple of months. We've also seen significant improvements to the baseball stadium, to the basketball locker rooms. And so I think you see uh, a guy who understands the importance of facilities, the importance of recruiting, the importance of developing, you know, well-rounded students who can make the grades at tech. Um, I guess going back a little bit to our previous conversation, one of the only negatives really out of the O'Leary era was that we, uh, we ended up having a ton of guys fail out of school uh, that ended up hurting us pretty significantly like from about 2002 going forward. And I think with Sansbury and Collins, you see their understanding that, that that kind of thing just doesn't work. And so we've been uh, really good on NCAA APR standings while also uh, trying to hire uh, better coaches, build better facilities. And so I hope Sandsbury's the guy that's with us for a long time and is able to return some of the, the prominence uh, that uh, we've had, you know, even in recent years and, and hope to continue to have
2: uh, it's interesting that you say that about when George O'Leary left, because like uh, here at UCF, he was one of the winning thing he was known for was a very serious commitment to academics, and UCF had a very high graduation rate year in and year out under him. All right, let's wrap this thing up, but I can't let you go without asking for a score prediction, Rob. I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you got?
4: I am normally uh, as clear-headed and, and as much of a realist as I can be, and so if I'm going purely on uh, my, my brain, there, I would say. UCF's probably better by, by a touchdown, uh, which to me would put it around 31-24 UCF. Uh, yeah, I'd probably take the under. But if, uh, if, if last week uh, was, was real and Jeff Sims is really a quarterback, uh, then I think you could see a different story. But uh, I'll put my official prediction at 31-24 UCF. Uh, but I would say um, uh, let's, let's just watch out and, and see what happens on Saturday afternoon because this could be a completely different tech team.
2: See, guys, I've been telling you, there's something about this Georgia Tech team I'm not liking right now. They're feeling, they they look, they're confident, they're confident. All right, Robert Binion uh, from the Rumble Seat. Rob, real quick before we let you go, uh, where can uh, UCF fans reach out to you uh, and follow your uh, work with regard to uh, the Yellow Jackets?
4: Yeah, I uh, I share all my articles and I'll be posting stats throughout the game on my Twitter. at Robert underscore Binion. So at Robert underscore B-I-N-I-O-N. Uh, come, come give me a look on Saturday. I'll have an advanced stats preview going up tomorrow for the game if you want to uh, send people my way for that as well.
2: Will do. Robert Binion from, from the Rumble seat. Uh, thanks again. And, uh, hey, enjoy the uh, – I hope the uh, air is starting to clear up in uh, Salt Lake City where you are over the last couple of days. And uh, stay, fa- stay safe up there and enjoy the game on Saturday. We'll be talking to you, okay?
4: So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical.
2: All right. Thanks again to Robert and make sure you also follow, uh, from the rumble seat, uh, which is FTRS blog on Twitter, FTRS blog on Twitter is where you want to uh, follow the latest on the jackets, uh, from SB nation guys. I'm telling you, I don't, I, I, I've been thinking about it all week and I, I keep, Getting dismissed by Murphy, who's like, "Yeah, same old, same old from you, Jeff." But I, there's something about this game. I don't have a good feeling about it. I know
0: it's the the Roman Reigns factor, isn't it? WWE Universal. You're worried about it.
2: It's it's a season opener on the road against against a team that's got more that's playing with a little house money in terms of confidence. And I know Florida State's not good, but it's still not easy to win on the road in college football, especially the way it is these this days. Year,
0: actually, this year, actually, this year, I would argue it is, but that's a whole other story. Well, when there's nobody in the
2: stands. Well, it's uh, and UCF is a seven and a half point favorite according yep. to uh, according to Odd which that went down from the opening number of eight. Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm not feeling good about this,
0: Eric. What do you think? Ah, we're fine. This will be. Listen here's the thing. So Georgia Tech, and I think they're in the, heading in the right direction with Jeff Collins. We Obviously, it was cool, and that's one of the cool things we'll do here at Banneret. If you're new, or even if you've been listening for a long time, we will also break down the opponents, unlike any other programs you listen out there. So we'll always have the opposing p- point of view to get you set for each uh, game week. So we're excited to do that with our great friends and family at uh, SB Nation. So that was awesome. I think they're heading in the right direction. The problem is uh, this is taking a different level. Florida State is not very good. They don't have a quarterback. UCF does. So let's start with that. I mean, they're going to go – this is basically going from Josh Rosen to Pat Mahomes is what Georgia Tech's going to be seen. Uh wow. because, because not to bury a kid, but James Blackman shouldn't be a quarterback in Division One football. And mm-hmm. the problem that Jeff Collins had – he had a great game plan. And here's the thing that's going to be fascinating on Saturday – and you and I know Jeff, uh, Jeff Collins, you've covered Jeff Collins. He likes to expose certain defenses. And on what he did in the Florida state game was so smart. He basically told James Blackman in Florida state, we dare you to complete passes deep. We're going to, we dare you. We don't think you can complete deep passes and on pass attempts from 10 yards or more. James Blackman was three of 17. The plan worked. The problem is Dylan Gabriel is very good throwing the football deep, so I don't think James Jeff Collins is going to be able to have that game plan. And remember, Georgia Tech only scored 16 points against a Florida State defense that was one of the worst in the ACC last year, and it's not going to get much better this year. So they're going to they're going to they're going to have to score more than 16 points, I think, to stay with UCF. That's obvious. I think the 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 if you want to make a case for Georgia Tech, the big question here's the question, Murph. Georgia Tech played a game under their belts. UCF, this is their opener. It wasn't designed that way, but that's the way it is. Any factors in that? Do you worry about a team playing with rust against a team that's already played a game? The counter argument would be, well, Georgia Tech hasn't seen any tape of UCF. Heck, they haven't seen a depth chart either. Whereas UCF has seen Georgia Tech on, on tape. So there's the kind of the pros and the cons of this scenario. Where do you side on that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know where I, I – I think – I agree with both camps. I don't know if I say one is absolutely more right than the other. I think both are are, 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 are true and beneficial. Like, UCF has spent this this extra week, and a, week, week and a half, like, getting all fine-tuned on the fundamentals and details, pre-snap stuff and tackling and blocking. Uh, they've talked about this in their interviews with the media with us in that, you know, they've watched these first two weekends of games and seen a lot of the sloppy play that we've seen nationwide – so, yeah, you can look at it and say, well, it's a detriment that UCF hasn't played yet, uh, and they haven't had real physical contact yet. But it's also beneficial in the fact that UCF has had this much extra time to sort of iron out all the things they need to get ironed out and to look at these games and go, we need to, we need to work on that some more. We need to make sure we're better on this some more. Um, so, I, I don't, again, I don't think either one is like much better than the other. I think they're both, uh, they're both uh, worth arguing about. Uh, I I think for me, uh, as I mentioned in the interview, I was really impressed with how Georgia Tech's offensive line blocked uh, uh, Florida State and UCF, you know, being in a very aggressive man-to-man defense, really leaving their corners on an island sometimes. uh, You know, UCF's going to rush, you know, five or six sometimes. I want to see how that line holds up to UCF's defensive line, especially as, as as Robert pointed out in the interview. Georgia Tech didn't sub any offensive linemen in that game. UCF's going to sub like five, like six, seven, eight, nine different defensive linemen. How does that impact the game? And as good as Jeff Sims was for Georgia Tech, and he really was, like parts of the games you can see, like as a true freshman, he showed poise when there was some some uh, business going on in the pocket. He made some pretty good throws. He's always got the athleticism and a, and a, a good arm. But man, all like he shouldn't picked up. He was picked off twice. He should have been. He shouldn't been picked off a third time. And all three of them were, were like, really bad. Like, in all three, he stared down his receiver for about 10 seconds, totally didn't see a a, a defender who was standing right next to or in front of his target. Uh, The third one that should have been picked off that was dropped should have been a pick six. Um, So he's really prone to still making, you know, bad freshman mistakes. And I think everything we've heard about Dylan Gabriel this fall, uh, certainly from QB coach Joey Halsley, is that how Dylan is determined to know everything there is. Really being like a quarterback guru this fall of knowing what defenses are doing and why they're doing it. He wants to know every single nuance of the game. And I think just Dylan's – I think he would even tell you himself his preparation level is higher than it was. And I think his understanding naturally is better. And and I think it's going to serve him well um, because we know how he struggled on the road last year. And he understands that. It was the third question he was asked when we talked to him about a week ago: was how can he improve when he goes on the road? And he talked about just being in that, being in that, you know, experiencing that and having that, having you know that under your belt, knowing what that's like. Uh, and I think he, he he knows he has something to prove on the road. And I think he's going to do that.
2: Boy, that sounds an awful lot like another guy who we had around here who did who made a lot of improvements from his freshman to sophomore year, don't you? Yeah,
0: think? yeah a lot of Hawaiian quarterback I heard. Yeah. yeah. I, I, Number Let me also point out, and he and we you heard it in the interview, Florida State had open receivers. There were some drops. Like Tate, who's their number one receiver, dropped an easy pass that could have been a touchdown that would have put Florida State up 17-0 and probably put the game away. Didn't happen. I don't anticipate UCF receivers, which I think is more depth than Florida State, dropping as many passes as Florida State did in that football game. I think – I think what I'm fascinated to see, and and I want your thoughts on this, starting with you, Jeff, Jeff Collins, I think is always a a defensive mind who, and and Thacker, who you know, they like to kind of look at the opponent's offense and say, okay, what can we attack? What can we expose? What can we put pressure on? And I think they're going to try to put pressure on this UCF offensive line. And I think one of the keys in this game is Matt Lee, who we're projecting at starting center. By the way, if you want an in-depth preview of our, of the UCF roster, we, in our previous episode, we encourage you to tend into that. We went in depth on both sides of the ball, but I think that Georgia tech for them to be successful and stay in this game to pull the upset, they're going to try to confuse the UCF offensive line. And I think to me, that's a key factor and give them some different looks. Make sure that the offensive line misses assignments or maybe gets a little hesitant starts having some false starts. And, you know, I think if you see some of that, that could give Georgia Tech a chance confusing the offensive line because then they could put some pressure on Dylan Gabriel. Because the problem is if they don't put pressure on Dylan Gabriel, I think he's going to carve him up. And I don't think – Georgia Tech cannot afford to get into a shootout. They will not win a shootout. They won't be able to keep up with UCF who has way too much depth. For Georgia Tech, in my opinion,
2: yeah, I think I think you're right about that. With, with Collins and, and Thacker, it starts on the front seven, right? And the thing that I was really that I I am going to be very interested in that first the first couple UCF drives, how the offensive line looks. Um, are they are, are they causing pressure? Uh, like you said on Dylan Gabriel, I think the real key here, Eric, is going to be UCF's run game. Believe it or not, because. Um, are they going to be able to run that read option with uh, with Greg McRae and Benno Thompson and, and and anybody else who they might who they might be able to throw out there? Maybe Johnny Richardson. Who knows who we'll see out there? But uh, are they going to be able to keep that defense honest? Because if they can if they can hit a couple of those quick runs inside and maybe gash Georgia Tech up front on first down a little bit, yeah. that's going to yeah. slow down that rush.
0: And, also, the screen pass. The yeah. screen pass. If if we watch yeah. that Florida State game. One of the positives Florida State Mike Norvell did early it was that screen passes to the running back which was effective early against Georgia Tech and maybe you, I think Josh could take some notes there and maybe expose Georgia Tech that way too.
2: Yeah, and, and then if they if they can tire them out too, you know uh, we talked yeah. that we talked about substitutions on the on the Georgia Tech offensive line. The question is will they be able to substitute on the defensive line? Because if they can, um, that obviously bodes well for them. But if they if, if UCF's offense starts clicking. Um, and and is running at the pace that they want to, that could tire them out. And I really do believe with this different off season, this adjusted off season that we've had, um, you know, conditioning is going to be the biggest factor in every football game that we see. So, who's the better conditioned team? We're going to find out. I think probably early second half, um, who the uh, which team has that advantage in that department. Murph, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I thought you guys brought up the two points that actually I was going to talk about too. I thought. Oh, excellent! We're all on the same page. <laughs> I know, right? I know. I thought the screen game was really effective. I think that's something UCF needs to do. And I think, and 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 you know, and uh, Thacker's talked about this this week in, in his media availabilities is just the tempo and having to change the way they've practiced this week to sort of adjust to that tempo and keep guys in there for for longer periods of time, more plays on their defensive line, you know, play after play after play. Which typically they may not do as much of, but for this opponent they need to. And again, as as kind of the cliche, you just can't simulate speed, uh, and or especially that kind of speed. And I wonder uh, if they can keep up. And I, I just you know again, if UCF is successful in their first couple of drives and gets out to an early lead, um, you know, I don't I, I don't see that happening. I, my questions. I'm more concerned on the defensive side, certainly with you know, losing a guy like Kalia Davis to an opt out, and you're gonna probably have to have some freshmen step up step up for you in in the in the secondary. Um, uh, but if they, if that defense can be okay and that offense performs like they should perform, uh, UCF should win this game.
2: Yeah, and, and but one thing that I, I think bodes well for Georgia Tech is the fact that Collins and Thacker and Key are there because we heard it from them um during their press conferences this week. You know, because they both coached here, they are not going to let their players overlook UCF. You know, and you know to what extent that's a factor. When
3: wait 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 what what Yeah, you think they're going to
2: overlook? No,
3: no,
0: I'm not. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the players. You know, I I I don't think the players are in any room to overlook UCF. They lost. They could be reminded they lost to Citadel last year. I and there's that digit. There's a little digit. Next to that UCF, they, yeah. they got got their attention.
3: As much as we talk about how the rankings don't matter outside of the CFP, like the the players like that, and the players gravitate to that. So I'm sure George Tech knows what it would mean to be a top fifteen team.
2: No, yeah, I mean obviously, but I, I but what I wanted to say was it was a very awkward segue to bring up the sound that we have from Jeff Collins and Andrew Thacker, where they, you know, were complimentary of uh, obviously of what UCF has done and. Heaven knows they would know because they coached here.
5: Playing against a great football team, a great football program, uh, one of the top ten programs in the country over the last three years. Uh, great coaching staff, great players, great speed, great schemes, uh, and we're, we're well versed in that. And uh, have a tremendous amount of respect uh, for the opponent that we've got come in coming in. I uh, just want to take the time. It's uh, you know I had two years at UCF uh, and I was coaching for George O'Leary so that was really more like 14 years uh, down there coaching for Coach O'Leary. He's going to be at the game this week, Uh, he's going to be honored uh, for the Georgia Tech Hall of Fame so just tremendously blessed that I'm in this position because of George O'Leary and he means the world to me he means the world to my family and uh you know i think it's a perfect time because he had such a great run here and he had such a great run uh building that program the right way and uh you know and the people that are ucf fans uh when i say this you know they'll know uh we talked about get your chili hot when i was down there but i've got a tremendous amount of respect for that place Tremendous amount of respect for the program that is being built there and has been built there. And, uh, you know, excited uh, to play a great opponent, uh, naturally ranked opponent on ABC uh, 330 on Saturday. So,
1: sure, yeah. So, UCF, uh, when people think about their offense, probably get stigmatized as just explosive, explosive skill players, skill players, and just the big, sexy plays. But uh, they're a physical bunch. And, uh, you know, part of that is they're very good on the offensive line whatever uh, power five and group of five, whatever that means, uh, that does not hold true for a UCF team. They are one of the elite teams in college football. And uh, just offensively, they've got explosive playmakers. They have great skill. Um, But uh, they start by establishing the interior with a really good offensive line. They go so fast they get you tired So when you're tired you want to pass rush less you're so worried about getting lined up your execution Your assignments get a little bit tougher because you're tired and you're thinking you're not able to execute So that's the way that they they have success, but uh, we've got to create pressure We've got to create pressure with a collective depth chart with push of the pocket We've got to pick and prod when we can pressure them um, but uh, we've got to create it just with our base defense to your point, and that was a big difference in Florida State. Our four-down rush was able to push the pocket more to make the quarterback uncomfortable. It wasn't necessarily just patterns or, you know, just cool design blitzes that were coming free. It was guys playing with a really good effort and controlling and pushing the pocket, which we worked a lot on in the offseason. So being selfless in their rush lanes, not, not four guys on the front just trying to win their one-on-ones, but trying to work collectively together so that you have four points on the quarterback and pushing it, and they did a great job with that. So UCF creates a challenge with their pace and tempo. They create a challenge with their run game. They create a challenge with their max protection, where they have seven mans in protection, and just run deep routes and deep routes and perimeter screens. So more difficult to get pressure on, but we've got to find ways uh, by being selected by scheme.
2: All right, so that was uh, Jeff Collins, and then uh, the head coach of Georgia Tech, and then Andrew Thacker, who is a GA here. I knew Andrew. All right, funny story about Andrew. I knew him when he was there. in my previous job before I came back to UCF. Uh, one of the schools that one of the high schools that I covered when I was living in North Georgia was Gainesville High School. And Andrew Thacker not only played, went to and played at Gainesville High School. He's the, I, I believe, the stepson of Bruce Miller, who was the head coach at uh, at, at Gainesville at the time. Uh, and of course, Bruce Miller uh, at, at Gainesville, they went on to coach Deshaun Watson. For four years, and Watson went on to set all kinds of Georgia State records at at, uh, at Gainesville. So that's a football family up there in Georgia, and a great community in Gainesville, Georgia. Around the one of my favorite nicknames ever, the Red Elephants, the Gainesville Red Elephants. Can't beat that. Um, let's do uh, let's do predictions real quick. It's a seven and a half point spread right now as of um, as of this recording. Sixty two is the over under. By the way. 54% of the money, according to Odd Shark, is on UCF minus the seven and a half. And 52% is on the under 52. So uh, what do you guys have on this one? Eric, I'll start with you.
0: Well, first of all, can I campaign for this to become a series between these two? I, I think this is a natural matchup for both schools. Maybe not play every year, but play every other year. I mean, we've discussed the coaching connections here with Jeff Collins, Brent Key, they're honoring George O'Leary, as we mentioned. He's part of this UC, uh, Hall of Fame alongside Eileen Morales, who's a Georgia Tech softball player who I actually covered, played against UCF, which is kind of wild. I think this is a natural rivalry. You got to play, you know, Atlanta or very favorable for fan bases. You have so many ties to the program's. I'd like to see this matchup become a every year, every other year, because this would actually be, you know, give UCF a rivalry that they're lacking right now in football. They don't have a real rivalry right now in football. So this could become one, unlike, you know, other ones that people think it's a rivalry. That's not because we keep owning them uh, that we <laughs> won't mention in the other school. So I'll just throw that out there. But the second part, well, I think Georgia Tech's headed in the right direction. If this game was played in 2021 or 2022, I think it'd be a dangerous game. Could be similar to a 20 years ago when georgia tech came back with george gotsy who used to be at ucf of course the quarterback at georgia tech but but and i know jeff collins is big on roman reigns and universal title but murph who was roman reigns biggest kryptonite at wrestlemania's when he would lose all the time i
3: i don't know eric
0: I I'm mean, a, <laughs> that's a disappointing answer murph i expected much more. i know i, know. I really feel ashamed Yes. Great club lady hates me right now. And, yes. And Todd Dageny. I'm confident both of them would know the answer. Because the answer is is the beast incarnate, Brock oh. Lesnar. And who do we have on this offensive line that people compare to Brock Lesnar, Parker Boudreaux. <laughs> and I expect Boudreaux and the UCF offensive line to just absolutely send Georgia Tech's defense to suplex city and win going away by a couple scores. I, I'm going to
3: definitely mention that during the game. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I Well, first of all, I want to give uh, props to the hurricane that's passing through and that it's just going to be a little too slow to cancel this game. <laughs> I know like, it, really, it really tried, but we're going to play it. It's amazing. Uh, secondly, I will take the under... Um, just because I, I, maybe UCF, I, I really do fear that maybe UCF uh, maybe isn't going to be clicking on all cylinders right away. But I think they cover. I think they cover. I think this is more like a um, you know, like a 34-17 type game, something like that. Like it's you know comfortable two score margin. Um, and you know I hate, I hate I just I hate this every week uh, picking scores. It's such a, a, a crapshoot. But there you go.
2: I got 31-24 UCF. I think this one's closer than anyone thinks so
3: you caught Robert
2: yeah 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 exactly I wrote, I wrote it down by the way before we even talked to him I wrote it down in the uh, in, in the round table for Jeremy that Jeremy's gonna have that Joe up on Hamilton Friday ain't so
0: coming back man he ain't
2: God see, ain't coming back it's, but
0: Calvin and, Johnson's not walking through that door <laughs> by the way this game 330 ABC make a note ABC big yes. Joe Tessitore testator and uh, Greg McElroy which has created a lot of social media chatter. We'll be uh, calling the game with Marty Smith, who apparently – was Marty Smith part of the Josh Heupel uh, presser there? Because he was tweeting about what Josh Hypo was talking about McKenzie Milton yeah. on Monday. He was also
2: really complimentary of the uh, video department work on the uh, UCF yeah. preview, right?
3: Well, Marty, Mar- Marty was also in the Georgia Tech presser. Actually, Marty was asking questions in the Georgia Tech presser. He didn't ask any questions in the UCF presser, so he might have just been on the Zoom but, you know, just listening in.
0: All right. Well, my prediction is my prediction is Marty Smith, big Mackenzie Milton feature. Watch Mackenzie Milton no. feature. Like, it's, don't you just feel it? It's coming, right? It's coming. Uh, yeah. Well,
2: yeah, might be a real tearjerker, possibly from uh, from from Marty. He's now, now now Eric. Real quick. Uh, yeah. TV ratings. Yeah. Are we thinking a big number for this one because it's on ABC?
0: Well, so here's an interesting thing. This is going to be very fascinating. So the Georgia Tech played Florida State in the similar time slot. The game got pushed uh, delayed due to weather. It still drew 3.5 million viewers, 3.5. It's the second-best college football number of last weekend behind Notre Dame and Duke, which did 4.2. So it'll be interesting to compare that. One of the problems, though, that UCF's going to have is, and this is 2020 in a nutshell in the sports scene in the fall, and that's why this is why anybody that, you know, can't overreact too much to these numbers among the uh, competition they're going to have is the U S open golf tournament. Yes. U S open, which is normally in June is going to be this weekend on NBC. So they're going to go head to head with that. And that draws a big number. And a lot of that too could be influenced by if tiger woods is in the mix or not. If tiger woods is in the mix, as people know, he draws ratings and eyeballs. So that could influence also the UCF Georgia Tech number because if Tiger's in the mix, then the U.S. Open numbers will go up big in that third round. So I think that's something to keep in mind in that regard. Uh, So I I think if I had to pick something to keep in mind, the two highest most viewed UCF regular season games nationally was the Black Friday game against South Florida, 4.7 million viewers. They're not going to touch that. Cincinnati, that primetime game on ABC, 3.2 million. Can they get to that number? Uh, that's going to be interesting. 3. 1, I'm sorry, 3.1. That one did a 3.1. UCF against South Carolina and Steve Spurrier in 2013 did a 3.2 million viewers. Can they get to that number? I'm going to be curious about. That 3 million uh, number is what you're talking about? Um, that's what I'm thinking. If you can get 3 million, that's a strong number. Uh, that would be right up there. I think that's a good number considering, again, you're going up against the U.S. Open, golf, and golf – has been doing monster numbers since its return. It's a big, like, I think they're up by 30 40%. So I can't explain it, but people love golf. So, um, and there's other college football that will be going on during that same time. So that's something to keep in mind. Also, Joe Tessitore, former Monday Night Football voice, joins Steve Levy, Mike Tirico, and Sean McDonough as former Monday Night Football voices, that will be and have called a UCF football game. This will be Joe Testator's first call, uh, UCF football game he's ever called. So there's a little Wait, Monday night football theory. Which, which game did Mike Tirico do? 2005 UCF South Carolina. Steve Spurrier's first game. Oh, that's
2: right. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: 15 years back. That's not counting uh, Beth Mowins, who filled in on Monday night football, or Chris Fowler, who filled in this past Monday night to watch the Steelers thump the Giants. Uh, filling in there, if yeah, you want to include great. those two. Backs.
2: Thanks, thanks, thanks for the reminder.
3: lovely. Thanks you. The lovely verb choice there.
0: Aaron. Appreciate thanks that. For not rubbing it in. All
2: right. Um, <laughs> this
0: just in: Saquon Barkley got tackled behind the line of scrimmage again. Good <laughs> <yeah>. Get some, <laughs> nice. get them offensive, line. offensive line. Hopefully, UCF's offensive line does not look like the Giants' offensive line. Yes. If they let's, do, run, if let's run. They run that, do, let's run that. Let's run that
2: film back and be like, "Hey guys, here's how you not play offensive exactly. line." <laughs> I,
0: have, I have faith that Josh
3: Heupel. Is more imaginative than Jason Garrett. I,
2: I I can't I can't I can't argue I can't argue I can't argue at that point against the. Clapper. You know why All that
0: right. is, Murph? Because Jason Garrett's a bad coach. <laughs> well, that yes yes that's correct yes.
2: Also, the Giants have no offensive. Line. All right, I <laughs> will not be a good coach. Yep. ABC three thirty on Saturday. Uh, UCF at Georgia Tech. When we get back. Got more to talk about here, uh, including. Uh, some news in the other sports as well stick around we'll be right back all right welcome back to the black and gold Banneret podcast jeff sharon eric lopez and brian murphy with you follow us at ucf underscore banner facebook.com slash black and gold Banneret, and of course black and gold where we are the home of the ucf knights on sb nation wow did we have a lot of news drop today uh we're recording this obviously wednesday september the 16th um Couple of big stories that we got to talk about. For, uh, first and foremost, the Big Ten has made it official; they're coming back to play, uh, and it will be October twenty fourth that they uh, that the presidents and chancellors, this is according to ESPN, unanimously voted to resume competition, citing daily testing capabilities and stronger confidence in the latest medical information. Uh, the season will kick off October twenty fourth each team will attempt to play eight games in eight weeks. Uh, and the big 10 championship game will be on December the 19th. Uh, so they will, and by the way, they will have each team will play uh, an extra cross division game for each school. Um, uh, so this is, they're, they're throwing this thing into fast forward real quick, real quick. And there's no margin for error. Um, Say what you want about what the reason may be, be it money, politics, or a combination of the two. Um, from a UCF perspective, this is, I, I'll, I'll say it right now, I think this is bad news. Because now the now the decision's easy for the college football playoff uh, uh, committee. They can just pick the conference champions from the four remaining conferences. Now, Brett McMurphy dropped a little nugget today that uh, the Pac-12 was thinking about coming back, too. Um but, you know, as of right now, four teams, are, are, are four, four of the major conferences, four spots well, in the, and the Heather, club, and that's pretty way, Heather, much going to be it. Heather, Heather Dinnich
0: also had it, I yeah, think, too. Yeah, late October. She's saying late October. So the Pac-12 and Big Ten and the Pac-12 kind of have a brother relationship. They seem to always kind of go in tandems, uh, going back to, obviously, the Rose Bowl and things like that. So I, I would not be surprised, despite what's going on with everything up west, I, I think the Pac-12 will also be playing football at the end of October. So, this, so so basically the goal
2: now is, for UC, from a UCF perspective, it's, it's, the, it's the G5 spot in the New Year's Six Bowl now, right?
0: Yes. In fact, please, Jeff, let's reenact two topics because of this we did in past episodes. Can you please ask Brian, like we did a couple weeks ago, hey, Murph, what did you think about the rankings? Please ask Murph and then, and then ask me. Uh, Murph, what
2: did you think about the rankings?
0: They don't, they don't matter.
2: Okay. Uh, Eric, what about you?
0: Murph's right. He's 100% right. The rankings <laughs> do not mean squat. So, move on. Next next question. Remember the concern you had about the UCF-Memphis game that was getting moved to the Saturday, October 17th? And I said, no, no, nothing to worry about. They're going to get a great TV slot, ABC. There's so many spots, right? Yeah, that's gone now. Yeah. Uh, because... because uh, actually, though, actually there is good news about that. The Big Ten. No, no, that, that
2: they, right, right, right. That's still the week before, so we'll still so, pro- we still probably that, could that get a good TV benefit. slot for that.
0: That will still benefit. Now you're right, though. The New Year's Six Bowl is the goal, and I will say this: this was not a good weekend for the American from that standpoint because the Sun Belt made a loud statement with Louisiana blowing out Iowa State in Ames. They were ranked. That's going to register. I mean, there were people. I mean, Tim Brando had Iowa State in his preseason top ten.
2: Yeah, that was a that was a shocker, what Louisiana did. They yeah. dominated that game.
0: Billy Napier, an up-and-rising star, head coach. So I think the Cajuns are legit. And then Appalachian State's always been good. So the it's not like it's an automatic. And that's why it's important that not only UCF needs to beat Georgia Tech, but it'd be nice if, you know, you know cover the spread and put up a store because I think there's legit competition there. But you're right, it's the New Year's Six. And, look, the American handled this well. It didn't work out from the national title playoff situation. I do agree because the Big Ten's going to get a team in, maybe two teams in. Ohio State, some would say, is the best team in the country. So it's this is good for college football because it's going to help the television numbers, and I think TV does play a role in all this. Remember, Fox owns the has the Big Ten network, so there's a lot of – And they're I mean, really I-
2: t- well tied in with the Big 12 too.
0: Correct. And the PAC 12 to even some extent. So, uh, and it's no secret the television numbers for the American, uh, the, for college football have not been good in the first two weeks. And, uh, so this will help the big 10 brings to big markets, big ratings. So that won't help you see yeah, But like you said, you got to play for new Year's six. And when you're in a situation, you can play for the peach bowl. You could still control that. And I still think that's successful. And Oh, by the way, that's still a big paycheck and every school right now will be happy to take any paychecks they can get. So, uh you know, I think that's the deal. Please, people, do me this favor. Don't freak out and get all bent out of shape when UCF wins against Georgia Tech and drops like 10, 12 spots in the <laughs> polls because the Big Ten is no. back in the polls. Okay? I don't, I don't think happen. that's the thing. Well, the Big Ten
2: news broke, I, you know, a bunch of UCF fans actually wrote back to me. They're like, oh, come on. We never really had a chance to begin. The UCF fan base is so completely jaded by the college football playoff system. Oh, <laughs> and I, I feel bad because, like, you know, I, I really thought that it, 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 in the it, in the the status quo without the Big Ten without the Pac-12 that UCF really did have a shot. You know, it,
0: it, I, it, I'm with you on that. I'm with you, but and I know, I know,
2: I know. It's one of the few things that we actually agree on. But um, but right now, unless something really weird happens, everything goes up in smoke. Now, of course, weird things can happen. You know, the the Big Ten is giving themselves zero margin for error here. And I think that's. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot of questions whether we even finish a season across the board. I mean, let's not pretend like we're uh, we're clear, you know, because, I mean, Memphis was supposed to play Houston this week. Like what like what
2: if uh, what if Ohio State ends up playing only six games? So right.
0: my opinion so my opinion though is I don't think how many games you play is gonna matter this year because I don't think really? everybody's gonna get I don't think everybody's gonna get their full games in I think everybody's gonna have different amount there I just I, I just don't believe that everybody's just gonna not miss a beat I think and especially the big ten where you've got no bye weeks like we talk about health with football players and yet we're gonna play eight weeks of football with no bye weeks with a short you know preparation are you kidding me yeah um that's insane but I don't think everybody's going to play the same amount of games. So I think Ohio State, if they got six games in and won the Big Ten, they'll just say, yeah, you're good enough. What it might hurt them is instead of being a one seed or a two seed, they might be a three seed or a four seed, if that matters to you. Uh, but if they show that they're the be- one of the best te- four teams, which is always what this has been about, then they will probably get in. But you never know. Weirder things happen. But here's the thing. I really do want to emphasize this. It doesn't matter if you don't win. First of all, it doesn't matter if you don't win the American. Okay, True. so that's the first step. You got to win the American. Number two, you probably got to make sure that you go undefeated because if you have one loss, now you need help from the Sun Belt to get knocked off. Because I'm telling you, Louisiana and Appalachian State are legit, and it there's no you know who's to say that one of those teams in the Sun Belt goes undefeated, and you could argue as of this – right now, the Sun Belt has a better resume because of the wins they had out of conference. That's why this weekend, UCF, Georgia Tech, and Houston playing at Baylor is significant games because if you're the American, you got to put a result on the board too. Otherwise, people will wonder like, well, are they really better than the Sun Belt? You don't want that conversation being done by the committee come in November. Although I do think this, UCF will benefit because – if they go undefeated they will get the benefit of the doubt because they've built a brand now whereas louisiana hasn't done see louisiana potentially could be in the ucf shoes in 2017 and they get overlooked by a team like ucf because UCF's won the last few years so we're on the other that's we're now on the other side of the shoe now it's the irony of all this that's that's a
2: fair point that's fair one the other bit of news that came out today the uh, ncaa's division one council finally approved moving the fall olympic sports championships to the spring. Now, here's the key: they're the the NC this is just the NCAA championships themselves, and so everyone else is going to have to work their schedule around the ch- NCAA championship brackets will be filled at 75 percent capacity. So you're looking at, for example, in the NCAA volleyball tournament, 48 teams. Um, the uh, oversight committee also reviewed. This is from the NCAA's website. Um the uh, committee already recommended uh the that that they reduce the minimum contest requirements to the 50%. To, so that's the number of games you can play before in order to be eligible. Uh let's see, uh, just a couple of the details that we have specifically with soccer. The uh, men's soccer college cup will be May 13th through the 17th. Uh 36 teams, 24 automatic qualifiers, 10 at large. Um, regular season competition will go February 3rd through April 24th with the selection selections on April 25th. Women's soccer, also May 13th through 17th. 48 teams in that contest. 31 auto bids, 17 at large. Um, and they will also play those same dates, February 3rd to April 24th. Volleyball uh, will play from January 22nd through April 10th. Selections will be April 11th. And they will have a 48 team tournament, April 23rd through 25th as the Final Four, 32 automatic qualifiers, 16 at large selections. So um, interesting. We thought it would be 32. They came to the compromise of of 48, which would be which you know obviously drops the at large selections by half, but they're still keeping all of the conferences happy. Um, and now we have a uh, and now we have a plan. Um Elo, you follow this as closely as anybody. Um, thoughts on what the NCAA's plan is right now for soccer and volleyball and cross country. I don't want to mix I don't want to mess up cross country, by the way. That championship will be conducted January third. or that season will be January 30th through March sixth. Championship selections March seventh. Cross country finals, uh, men's and women's will be March the fifteenth, and two hundred and fifty five runners of each gender will compete. Sorry about that, Eric. Go ahead.
0: No, that's impressive they got that in. Uh, clearly, I think they kind of did a compromise here, right? They wanted to make sure, give motivation to every conference to play in the spring. So you, the, the way you do that is by giving them an automatic bid every conference. So Because remember, we spoke about this. Geez, if they lowered it 32, how do you, pick, how do, you do the automatic bid? So this was a way to kind of keep everybody involved. So they cut the at-larges in half. That is not good news, in my opinion, for the Americans. Especially in volleyball, as you know, Jeffrey, they, right. it's tough enough to get two bid leagues, two bids from the American in a normal uh, process, let alone uh, 48. Because let's be honest, you're going to have the 32 automatics. And I don't know, give me a, a conservative projection. How many of those 16 at larges are going to go to the Big Ten in the Pac 12?
2: Oh, probably. probably, maybe all 16.
0: Right. You could make that <laughs> argument. So you're almost. It, it, you're almost from a, an American. Nah, the, S- the
2: SEC, will, the SEC, will lose its mind. So it'll, it'll probably be like ten of the sixteen. Uh,
0: Something. <laughs> but the point is, it's you know, it's going to be tough. Like you could make the argument, and 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 in a way, this could make the regular season even more exciting. But I think it's if you're UCF or you're Todd Dashing and UCF staff, you have to go in with the mindset not to win the conference, which you always do anyway. But you almost have to treat like you have to win the conference, and I do wonder. And I'm going to be, I'm going to side with Todd on this, Jeff. In my opinion, the conference tournament should not take place. If I was the, if I was the American, and if I'm Todd, I do not want a conference tournament in a shortened season with possibly only one bid because I don't think they're going to be able to get a second team in in a with the shrinkage of the at large. I think you should just reward the regular season champion. You don't – we've had Todd on this show. Talk about it. You don't want a conference championship to be decided because of a bad day, one bad swing, an injury, uh, somebody's under the weather. I I don't think they should be having the conference tournaments to decide that bid in this scenario because – especially in volleyball because, again, I would hate it to see this scenario where UCF goes ahead and wins the conference by like three or four games – and if they get a fluky loss because they got to go to Cincinnati and lose to Cincinnati right. that's terrible. I don't believe they should do the conference tournament this year. If you want to do it in a normal year, okay. But I think in this circumstances I would strongly be against it if I was in a coaching staffs. Not just volleyball, I would argue in soccer as well because women's soccer is kind of in a similar boat in that, you know, again, I think the ACC is going to dominate a lot of the at large spots. In men's and women's soccer, the men's soccer one, by the way, how the heck do you do a 30-16 bracket? How is Murph going to bet? How is he supposed to bet on a 30-16 tournament? Help me out with that, guys. How is that going to work? <laughs> <laughs> how do you uh, fill holy. a bracket out for that? How do you fill out a 30-16 bracket? 30,
2: I actually just Google search what a 30-16 bracket looks like, and you have like you have like four play-in games to get to 32. Is what you do, and then you play it off from there.
3: I have a question: Where do I go to bet on college soccer?
2: <laughs> there you go, we'll Eric. Talk, that's the question. We'll talk the big off question. the air.
0: We'll talk off the air, Murph. I got some. We got places, brother. We got play. But look, I mean, that's going to be significant in how they. And then we don't even know if they're going to have predetermined sites or not. So, how are the brackets going to work? more than likely i wouldn't be shocked if you see a ucf in volleyball have to go to florida and florida may have a, a buy yeah. depending on how they do this again um, but again having said all that let me just say this having said all that i'm happy that they're having the tournament number one and that they are you know it wasn't down to a 50 percent, that 75 so they're letting everybody involved We'll see if everybody still participates in the spring. There's a chance that number could lower if some conferences, like the Ivy League, they like they like to not play, uh, decide not to play again. So we'll see what happens with that. The yeah. other thing that jumps out to me, you read those dates again. It's going to be a heck of a spring, folks. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, April man is going to be absolutely nuts. We're going to have uh, we're going to have the men's soccer tournament and the women's soccer tournament starting at the end of April and going through mid May. We're gonna have volleyball. Uh, the the tournament's gonna to go for April 11th through the 25th, uh, and then uh, yeah. I mean, plus, obviously, we we don't know what the schedule's gonna look like right now, but uh, baseball and softball are gonna be really heating up at that point. It's gonna be we'll a be wild spring, man. Point, yeah, they'll be tannics. they'll be eyeball deep in conference play by that point.
0: Are they gonna like? Are we gonna clone our the media relations people to be at all these places <laughs> at once? Like, how's that gonna it's work? In, like? inter- a good.
2: lot. A lot of interns are gonna get a lot of experience this spring. It's uh... and,
0: and and that's and that. By the way, the other news that came out today: Murph, men's and women's basketball, college basketball, has gotten green lighted to start the season now, November twenty fifth. Two weeks later than planned, but isn't that Thanksgiving? is that
2: that's right around Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the not day set, before not, Thanksgiving, I believe.
3: Not set in stone yet. They're getting there, though.
2: Yeah, they're close. They're, they're close. close. So,
3: all We'll right. talk, talk about that next week.
2: Yeah, yeah, we'll probably have a plan on that. Uh, Murph, I did want to ask you about uh, American League Most Valuable Player Candidate, Dylan Moore. Um, all right, I got some numbers for you here. He's uh, Numbers since returning from that injury that he suffered. Yeah, uh, eleven games since that he's played. Since then, he is nine of thirty-nine at the plate. It's a two thirty-one clip, two homers, five RBIs. A uh, little injury hangover, or are the pitchers uh, figuring him out right now?
3: I, I actually, I, I should probably look and see. Like, remember last last time he was just crushing fastballs, um, and that probably leveled off a little bit as I vamp to do a google
2: search it's okay it's a podcast dylan, we can edit
3: <laughs> yeah, that, that, but i know we won't it's okay i absolutely know this won't be edited um watch this so so he's still he's still crushing fastballs Three twenty eight batting average uh 691 uh, or uh, 688 slugging um so i i think it's just that it's really dylan moore sort of just calming down a little bit uh i will say as we talk as we talk as we talk right now he's He's one for one in tonight's game against the Giants, um, but he's calming down a little bit. He was never going to hit like 340 for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah, so little what it is, it's, he's still having a very good year. I wanted to point out two things. Uh, one, we'll 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 talk about let's talk about Ben Lively for one more second. Yes, we keep bringing up we keep bringing up Ben Lively, and that's only because he keeps outdoing himself. In uh, his recent pitching appearances, the last I was on here last week talking about Ben Lively and how he had just turned in the best start of his career. This was last week; he pitched seven innings, of, seven innings of shutout ball, um, and, and uh, had one, uh, one walk, eight Ks. Well, then he pitched on the 12th of September against uh, uh, whoever that team is—the LG Lions, I believe it <laughs> is. The LG, the LG Lions, I believe it is, or it can't be—it's by someone else. It's I, it's a cave yoga. Well, By the KBO. Well, well, he, play, he, he plays. He not- plays for
2: the Samsung Lions. The whatever yeah. LG. They, they they all make cell phones. Anyway, go ahead.
3: I know. It's, it, it's all corporate run. He Ben on the twelfth pitched eight innings, two hits, one uh, one walk, uh, and uh, six and one run and six strikeouts. So in his last two starts, fifteen innings, five hits, one run, fourteen Ks, and two walks. Uh, now. The Samsung Lions are not going to make the playoffs. They're 10 games out of a playoff spot at this moment. But uh, you can't fault Ben Lively. He's been outstanding these last two turns. And he'll probably pitch uh, for the Lions. He'll probably pitch early Friday morning, for those of you who care, uh, to get up and and see what's going on there. And then let's talk also one second about Dan Winkler, who really doesn't get a lot of pub on the show because he's a middle reliever, so they're not sexy and uh, you know, it's it's a lot. It's a lot fun. It's a lot more fun to tweet out videos of guys hitting homers like Dylan Moore. But Dan Winkler, since August 15th, has thrown 11 and a third innings, two earned runs, eight Ks, an opponent's batting average of 195 for the Cubs, uh, doing really good work in the middle of their bullpen. I think we should just mention that.
0: This is good. A, a Cubs team yeah. that's winning their division, right, and it's going to be a, pl- a championship contender in the National League. A,
3: a Cubs team that's definitely going to at least win the Central Division. There's no doubt about that. And, and uh, Dan Winkler's, uh you know, is is, is become a, a pretty prominent middle reliever for that team, which is um, nice to see. He started out really rough, and I really I, I was kind of surprised that he made their active roster. Um, but actually, he's not only done that, but he's
0: pitched uh, he's pitched actually really well these last uh, three or four weeks. Okay, all right. We're two less than for- two weeks away from the baseball playoffs, by the way.
2: I know. I know this. The sprint is coming through. Like we've already played it, uh, a lot of teams. Have already played somewhere between like forty-seven and fifty games somewhere around there already, which I think is pretty.
0: Maybe the Maybe the Yankees should sign Ben Lively, Murph. They're down the stretch, so maybe get a quality, you know a healthy arm. You no,
2: know I mean? no, don't because he'll have he'll end up needing Tommy John surgery within a week.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, but anyway, so Yanks are three back of the race. Wow, AL East leading Tampa Bay Rays. And, and the Mottola, and the, out and of the Marlins years. are and the Marlins are two and a half out of the East.
0: That's a great time to be a South Florida sports fan, folks. You got the Heat in the Eastern Conference Final, the Marlins uh, trying to win a third World Series, led by the ace, the Cy Young Award winner, 6-0. Right, Merv Sixto. I know,
3: I, I, I mean it's amazing. I mean the Marlins are two games up on a playoff spot with you know you know about a week and a half to go. Like they're going to make the playoffs.
0: It's going to be great i'm happy for me and marlins fans like kenny landis does a great job media relations who's going to be uh he's he's long, he's gonna have a long spring ahead so i'm glad he's enjoying right now the fall and, well what's baseball. what's really fun here is <laughs> is
2: don't we have yeah right now we it's eight teams making the playoffs right best of three series in the first round which i just love the fact they do i hope they i hope they keep this um you know right now if the season ended right now both the marlins and the rays would make the playoffs We'd have for, play, playoff for, baseball here in uh, here in the state of Florida.
3: For what it's worth, baseball's fantastic. Commissioner Rob Manfred <laughs> uh, said that they're probably going to stick with eight teams per per league from beyond twenty twenty. So Good. no, yes, but whatever. <laughs> okay, you're wrong, but whatever. But I'm not. Are the
0: Mar- so so are the UCF alums in baseball? Had a sounds to me they're having much better weeks than uh, the football alums did. Not a great week for the UCF <laughs> football alums, was it? Oh, it was. No.
2: Oh, well, there, oh, was, there yes. was one good bit of news. Matt Prater um, officially became the longest-serving UCF knight to play in the National Football League. 14 seasons in the NFL. The
3: two, the two knights who played longer than him. Should not be hard.
2: The two knights who played longer than Matt Prater? Yes. What was it? Wait,
3: Brandon Marshall, right?
2: Brandon Marshall should.
3: Before Sunday, they like, played as long. As oh, oh,
2: okay, Sunday. okay. Uh, Brandon Marshall is one is my first guess.
0: That's Santé Samuel? No.
2: Um. Hmm. Josh Sitton? No. Really? Okay, you got me on that one. We got Murph. Sean Jefferson. Oh, good one. That's runner. right. Wow. Yeah, Sean played a yeah. long time. I forget about that.
3: Great both trivia. He, both he and Brandon played 13 years. I know because I wrote about this last week for the site <laughs> when I wrote about what to expect from UCF NFL players. Uh, and so, look, it wasn't a great week one for for NFL for UCF NFL players. Uh, you know, Jeremy Brenner does a, does a rundown every week uh, of what uh, they did. And I'll just be frank. After Thursday, it wasn't very good. Jordan Aikens uh, looked good for the Texans, playing 82 percent of the snaps, uh, looking like a tear down the seam. Yes, he only Ca- caught a touchdown. He should, and he should get more targets. Like he really, he he's a guy who you know, if they can get him to just you know use his size and use his speed, like he can be a mismatch. Uh, I think and I said in the article that I wrote again. I think he could be a guy who really breaks out this year, um, and so that was nice. Su- Sunday wasn't as nice. Brashard uh, uh, Perryman, like the rest of the Jets, was not very good. Uh, I think most disheartening was to see both Mike Hughes and Jekyll Griffin. Like, I, I mean, let's be honest, they got burned like, like, badly multiple times, and they got, like, it really was a bad. Um and then uh, and then really otherwise they didn't really no one else really did anything much of of note I guess it'll be interesting to see this Sunday uh Sunday night on our uh, excuse me Monday night on ESPN Monday Night Football the Saints and the Raiders Michael Thomas out for the Saints most likely out for the Saints for a few weeks that moves everyone up on the depth chart a wide receiver for the Saints so you should see Trequan Smith get more field time uh I will be interested to see what he does I uh, you know, I want to see him break out and become more than just a deep threat. Um, but this is a big opportunity for him to step up without the Saints number one receiver.
2: Might see might see more work from uh, Latavius Murray, too, in that case. If you're down receiver, sure.
3: right? Well, it it only helps if Alvin Kamara is hurt. And right now, Alvin Kamara is the best thing going in that
0: offense. Yeah,
2: that's true. It's
0: never, yeah. so. AJ Bouye got hurt on the Monday night game for Denver. I,
3: I yeah. mean, really, it couldn't get any worse he, he landed really hard on his shoulder. I didn't see the exact diagnosis, but um, uh, yeah, it was just it wasn't a very it wasn't a very fun first week. You know, Gabe Davis caught a couple of passes, but uh, I think we know he's not going to be a a, a weekend week out threat for the Bills in his rookie year.
2: Uh, AJ Bouye, by the way, got placed on injured reserve, but he's eligible to return.
3: Right, so he'll, be so. Back and he'll come back in his, in his in his early as three weeks. That's the new thing. It used to be six weeks, or it used to be eight weeks. And now it's uh now it's down to three,
2: three, right? Yeah. So, um, injured res- injured reserve means something a lot different than it used to. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, in a way, it's like oh, it's it'll be okay. He's on he's on he's on the short injured reserve. Uh, they didn't say, or, or according to the Denver Channel.com, which is Channel Seven ABC in Denver, it was a dislocated shoulder. On, yeah. uh, on AJ, it so makes, that's yeah. So that's going to take some time.
3: He was reaching out. It was one of those things where you sort of land on your armpit. That's kind of
2: what he did. Ouch. It was real. Ouch. Ah. I don't recommend it. Yeah. All right. Let's let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up, guys. We got more content coming for you in, in anticipation of football uh, on Saturday. I got a game preview coming up. Uh, we also have our season predictions. We go game by game. That's going to be up pretty soon. We're working on our uh, top 30 assistant coaches of all time that we're we're putting that out
0: this week because believe it or That's not right. a couple guys we were going to see this weekend they made the list you may, yeah jeff collins is on the list and brent key will be on the list you can check it out see where he finished ranked among uh, the top 30 ucf assistants uh we ranked them down there and uh certainly uh i've already gotten feedback jeffrey people some people are like why is jeff collins ranked?" so i can tell people are already tense about this matchup <laughs> uh, would you would you like to defend Jeff Collins being on the list?
2: Yes. Uh, did you see who, who he recruited in his two years as the
0: recruiting coordinator? I wrote it down. You can check it out and read it. That's what I would yeah. prefer, actually. I'm I mean, not going to –
2: exactly. I'm not going to tell you. Go read Good Eric's list. article.
0: Pretty strong list. Pretty yes. strong list. So we got that going on. By the way, shout out to Taco Fall, Boston Celtics, in the Eastern Conference Final, I believe, first UCF I love them to be in a conference final. And uh, unfortunately, as much as I'm a big Taco fan – and I've rooted for Taco, except this time around, because I'm a Heat fan, so I'm rooting for the Heat to hopefully take Taco out in the next week or so. We need but Taco, to, s- we need
2: Taco to, to-, to sign with the Miami Heat, is what we really need.
0: But remember, the key to that series as Jeff Van Gundy quoted the great Josh Hypo, Murph. If you're oh. juiceless, you're useless. <laughs> that, was <an laughs>
2: impressive, that was an impressive pull for Van Gundy, man, I'll tell you. I wonder if he got that from Stan.
3: Yeah, absolutely did right. Like I don't imagine <laughs> do I don't imagine that that Jeff Van Gundy's in his hotel room in the bubble, like listening to radio. Uh, I, <laughs> right. I imagine he heard that through. Maybe he's out.
0: listening to his brother's weekly segment uh, in the morning when uh, when he's on uh, with Mike Bianchi. Maybe that's where he uh, you know.
3: But I will say it was a little surreal to be just be lying in bed on Tuesday night, watching Clippers Nuggets, and all of a sudden coming out of break, Jeff Van Gundy just drops. I go, oh, yeah, I heard this line from the University of Florida head coach. And I'm like, what? What is happening? And so
0: <laughs>
3: I, 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 I love – I will say this. Uh, it's a corny line, but it's a hell of a oh. lot better than 1-0. I'll hell take hell it. Lot. I will take it eight days a week. If you're juiceless, you're useless. I'm on board for that if it means we can stop <laughs> hashtagging Go one zero. I, I love. Just,
0: it's like,
2: I, I love the fact that it, that that UCF already branded it with the citronaut
0: too. <laughs> Did you so, see that? All right. So you think we could, we could get merchandise out of this? Can we get like free like you know gear gear out of this? That'd be cool. I mean, I'm gonna, have to talk,
2: I'm gonna have to talk to the guys at uh, Breaking Tea see if we can make something out of that. I'll see what we can do.
3: Don't they have to? And again, like, how does Otis Anderson not fit into this? He's got to. I know. Juice.
0: I like the potential of this. I really do. Yeah. This is has not,
3: a, lot, has a lot of angle to
0: it. Yeah. So, Murphy, <laughs> so your yeah your goal when you're in Atlanta, okay, for the game, you got to make sure, you got to see if you can get me some of that Roman Reigns gear that Jeff Collins is wearing, the Rackham <laughs> and Leave. And if they're playing his theme music coming out, you got to pump that up on your video and then find out if we can get, you know, if you're juiceless, you're useless. Like, can we get any merchandise out of this? Those are your responsibilities. I'm, I'm shocked that like, there probably
3: is a shirt like that, but like, it probably says like, like, like uh, parentheses, rambling, wreck everyone and leave. Like, that's got to be made, right? Like, that has to be made already.
2: Well, they just call him the wreck. That's it, right? I mean,
3: yeah, just, uh, I mean, I, I'm just saying. For Georgia Tech purposes, you can put a Georgia Tech logo and a Roman Reigns logo cross branding rambling be- better one.
2: better yet get a get a picture of roman reigns when he played for georgia tech yeah I'm even old. better
0: Ooh, you gotta get a photo of that murph i'm sure they gotta have a i mean you gotta believe they gotta go full gear on promoting roman reigns kind of like miami does with dwayne johnson right like there, oh, yeah. there's gotta be a roman reigns photo somewhere in the in the press box that would not have existed if he but, did not have the but does he have but, but
2: but eric does he have a flat top and is he wearing a uh a uh what do they call those things uh a mid drift cutoff. A, a mid drift cutoff. No, 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 no. The fanny pack. Oh, a fanny pack.
0: <laughs> I don't know about all that. But, but I'm telling you, Murph. Right? I got you. If you're Georgia Tech, right? You're the music guy. You got to play Roman Reigns theme at some point during the game, if not in the intro, right?
3: Does, does that intimidate Parker Boudreaux then like like what I'm, happens now
0: I'm just saying I mean East Carolina plays the Undertaker music at their home yeah. games I'm just saying and you know if I'm Parker Boudreau I come out with a Brock Lesnar shirt and really like just freak him out
3: just pour it on yeah, yeah. I I'm, oh, I'm, I'm all for it I, I do think we'll uh, there's got to be some sort of uh Roman reigns insignia somewhere uh, on that in that in that media in that stadium now. Come on, it's, it's got to be there. It's got to be there.
0: That's the one disappointment about Game Day not being there. If if Game Day would have somehow made it there, I kind of feel like Roman Reigns would have been a guest picker there. Like he's been there before as a guest picker, but yeah. I think he, they would have probably zoom, unfortunately, because the times they were in. But still, I think Roman could have been there instead. Though you'll have George O'Leary in the sidelines. So hey, you know that's your consolation.
2: All right. Nope. Well, <laughs> well, I'm going to I'm going to end the <laughs> end the wrestling talk right now. By reminding you that you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret and follow each of us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy. Follow all of us for uh, the latest uh, as we lead up to Saturday, 3.30 p.m. kickoff between UCF and Georgia Tech. Murph's going to be there at historic Bobby Dodd Stadium. 3.30 kick on ABC. Fourth Murph, all-time you want, you meeting, know- Murph, and uh, UCF yeah. has lost all three times in Bobby Dodd. Can they, can they finally break the ice against the against the Yellow Jackets? We're going to find out. So, and
0: it, Murph, and- you you want any dinner uh, recommendations? I think I hear Lou Williams has some places he likes in Atlanta. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs>
2: that's enough. All right, we're going to have to get out of here on that. Uh, Four. For all of us at Black and Gold Banneret, and for, uh, oh, by the way, special thanks also to uh, Robert Binion from uh, from The Rumble Seat. You can follow them at FTRS Blog. That's FTRS Blog on Twitter and fromtherumbleseat.com. Uh, for all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, and for Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff Singh. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.